Welcome back to the Me Sweet Podcast. I'm Donna Peters. Let's get in there. On this episode of the Me Suite, I am thrilled to be in the studio live with Meredith Moore. Meredith is the founder and CEO of Artisan Financial Strategies. You may even recognize her name from the TEDx stage, from the Wall Street Journal and Georgia Tech Speaker Series. She is a national subject matter expert on the topic of women breadwinners. And today we're going to talk about the role that money plays in our lives as career professionals and the provocation that we first need to decide the life that we want to live, and then back into the role that money will play to fulfill that. And if that was not enough, Meredith is not just a cancer survivor. She is one of a very few internationally known survivors of the type of cancer that she survived, which makes this story even more amazing than we could have imagined. Thank you so much, Meredith, for joining in the Me Suite, and we have a lot to learn from you. I'm so excited, Donna. Let's get to it, my friend. Let's uh, let's start talking. It's awesome. In the Suite, we start with core values. Can we start there? Absolutely. So one of the big things that I talk about a lot and really makes up where I go is our associations. Okay. I believe strongly, as Jim Rohn said a long time ago, that we're the average of the five people we're around the most. Yeah. So I'm very intentional about that. So I'll say that. Um, That can help your attitude, good, bad, or indifferent, Mm -hmm. and with also where you want to go. The second thing is I have this sort of moralistic obligation to be our very best. Mm. It's one thing to say, to go tell your kid, be your best. But I believe that if you have any capacity to do more, that we should. Okay. We are here for a reason. And again, I had my sort of epiphany sitting in Duke's neuro ICU and got very, very clear Mm. that you don't half-ass anything. Okay. If if I'm here, I'm all in and I'm going to be 100%. Okay. That that I believe wholeheartedly after seeing you operate. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I thought I was a pretty good connector until I met (laughs) you, and I have met my match. (laughs) Well, it's been very intentional in how I've gone about that, and it's fascinating to meet, again, interesting people. And I feel like it allows me to level up, and hopefully I can create impact to help level up other people. Right. So... I believe this topic is so timely for when we're launching. We're launching right around the new year when we're thinking about New Year's resolutions or how we want to show up differently in the future. And we have career professionals asking very important questions. What is the role that I want work to play in my life? Is now the time to make a change? Maybe the breadwinner dynamic in the household has changed during the pandemic. Maybe people have lost jobs or they're feeling at risk in their current position. So knowing that, where would you start with advice for how someone should be thinking about at the turn of the new year, their life goals and back into that in the way that money can help fulfill them? Right. So the first thing that fundamentally that I believe is that retirement, first, I think, was a word made up by the financial services industry. Okay. And to be kind, I think that retirement for high achievers, high performers, leaders, senior leaders, Mm -hmm. the nice way to put it, it's malarkey. Okay. Um, (laughs) This is a clean show. Yes, this is a clean show. (laughs) Okay. So my experience has been that for people that are A players, that are killing it out there in their careers, 
like doing a true stop and going to sit on the porch and drink lemonade like our grandparents did just does not exist anymore. Okay. High performers tend to sprint, slow down, sprint, slow down. And what I mean by that is, so maybe they quote unquote retire. That's what the big company says. That just means that they're exiting that company and doing other things. And tends to be for at least women, high-earning women, highly financially successful women. They'll go sit on paid public boards. They'll do consulting. Mm -hmm. They just do other things. And maybe they take a sabbatical for a year. That's their quote-unquote retirement. Okay. So it's how how do we rethink longevity? How do we rethink work? The other thing that I think is malarkey is that we follow our passion. Oh, okay. That's provocative, Meredith. It is. Okay. I I like movies. I can't make a living Uh and have the lifestyle that I want on reviewing film. Okay. So I think the trick that we all have is how do we integrate what we're good at professionally Mm -hmm. with what we enjoy Okay, and to do it in a sustainable way? When you said retirement and we need to think differently about it, it isn't just sitting on the beach. The driver of that isn't I need to keep working because I don't have enough money. It's that I want to keep working or being productive in some way because I have a lot to give. Is that it? There's a difference, I think. That's it. But also, I believe that happiness is Mm -hmm. the chase for a lot of us. Okay. We aren't happy unless we're chasing something. Okay. Right. So if we're not doing something... Mm -hmm. I think it can, some people get depressed with that. Yeah. So if you think of some of the biggest performers, my grandfather was a great example of that. Mm-hmm. They had financial means, financial security for years, but he worked, they forced him to retire at 98. Okay. <laughs> and guess what? He died a year later. Okay. And so how do we rethink sustainability? I think, I mean, mm-hmm. I know that's a hot word, but we don't think about in terms of our career paths in our life. Okay. So that's why we call it work optional. I want to move to a work optional phase because I'm working because I want to, not because I have to. Okay. So one thing that we could be thinking about in this turn of the new year Mm -hmm. is what is our plan for the work that we're going to be doing now, the financial implications of that work, and decide when in that journey we want to be work optional. Correct. And the other example I want to give you is, I know it sounds weird, but don't want what you don't want. And what I mean by that is when I was 14 years old, I was on a cruise with my extended family. Uh And I remember we were cruising by um, the Virgin Islands. And I made a note to myself, I was 14 years old, that there was going to be a day where I would be staying at one of those big houses Uh and, and everything was around going to the Virgin Islands. And when I got married, we never honeymooned there. And I went to the Virgin Islands this past summer. Okay. I'm 48 years old. I finally went to the Virgin Islands after being, after 14. Wow. I hated it. Okay. (laughs) I hate, I I was so bored. I was so bored. And we went to all these five-star beaches and I felt so guilty. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not my jam. Like I built this up in my head because I thought this was sort of the Holy Grail. Okay. And it's it's back to part of it is the chase and really figuring out what you do want. And I think that's part of life is sort of testing these different things. And so now I'm trying to define what's the perfect vacation for me. Yeah. How do you relax best? Yeah, perfect. So we have 
think about what retirement will mean for you Mm -hmm. so that you're at a stage where you can be work optional Mm -hmm. and think about what do you truly want and don't want in those experiences. Mm -hmm. That's two. Mm -hmm. Did you have a third one for the turn of the new year? I think it's also trying to figure out once you can define that, then it's getting the right people around you to test to it. And what I mean by that, that's where you go technical in my industry. Like, okay, if I know that I'm going to need X amount of income after a certain point, Mm -hmm. how am I going to get it? So how do I now structure the financials to this sort of ideal life, if you will? Yeah. And I noticed that that came third. Mm-hmm. Not first. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reality is most people, as you know, they'll start with the financials. There's no mm-hmm. intentionality. It's save, 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 save. But what happens if you live to 100 or what happens if you want to stop working in the big corporate job at 60 Yeah, and then have a pension and some rental properties? Like that changes everything. Yeah. So be the master of your own universe by designing your life first Yeah, and then backfill with the technical side of it. Yeah. And then what happens when you're told you have one year to live? That's exactly right. So I had an epiphany literally in Duke University's ICU Uh after having an awake craniotomy. That means they saw into your brain. Okay. And they removed brain tumor, basically. Okay. That's a whole nother podcast. But (laughs) it's um it was intense. But I had I literally had my first epiphany in my life. And I had to get very clear on what was important to me. Wow. And you won't find that time I was age 30. Okay. And I had a six-week-old son at home. And it was like, okay, what really matters? Wow. What really matters? And I came to a lot of conclusions around impact and legacy, Mm -hmm. which again, at 30 years old, there aren't many 30-year-olds thinking like that. That's right. And doing what I do for a living, I, you know, consult and help people around this too. Mm -hmm. But it's so nebulous sometimes to think about legacy because we're caught up with, I want to make sure I have enough. Yeah. Like, I don't want to run out of money. Forget legacy. The philanthropy will get whatever's left over. Mm -hmm. But I got really clear about impact at that point. Right. And what I want to say is that people can create impact and legacy while we're alive. And we can create it when we're gone. Right. Amazing. What advice do you have for couples having this conversation together? Maybe they are or are not dual career. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe they do or do not have the woman as the primary breadwinner. Mm -hmm. What's the advice for couples as we're at this moment? Because this is two individuals, two independent people now having to solve for this. Sure, absolutely. So the first thing I'll say is that the sociologists tell us that the um, spouse with greater income, mm. with that's older, greater age, or greater education tends to hold more financial power in the relationship over okay. those decisions. Okay. And I think being aware of that is kind of the first phase. That doesn't mean it's right or wrong. I'm not here to judge that. Okay. But what I have seen happen, and ladies, I'm talking to you. Uh-huh. Um, is that when she is making significantly more money out of the spirit of delegation, mm. she might, you know, say he like he has an MBA. I hear that a lot. He has an MBA. He likes investments. So I'm just going to outsource everything. And never mind the fact that that woman could be asked for a divorce, which mm. happens a lot, yeah. by the way. And then they're stuck because, and it isn't that they're not bright. 
Right. And it isn't that they can't figure it out, but the divorce is more expensive. It's longer because Mm. they were never engaged in any of the financials. And by the way, it goes the other way too. It isn't just women breadwinners. Okay. So- my what I always suggest is creating a meet, a very structured meeting cadence around financials. We're all busy. Okay. In fact, I hate that word. I like the word productive. Okay, but we're all very productive people. Hopefully, listening to this, uh-huh. and, and we don't want to allocate the time. And talking about money is uncomfortable. Yes. So I talk about what do we need to do weekly. What does a monthly meeting look like? And mm-hmm. by the way, one person should not only be doing this. Yeah. One person could have be more in there granularly than the other, but if you don't have two people engaging systematically, mm-hmm. bad things can happen. I've had I've had three clients die in the past 6 months and it happens. That's the nature of my business. Mm. But had they not been prepared for this, yeah. And they weren't aware of what was going on, it would it would have been awful. Yeah. And I see that happen you know, outside of sort of my my client base. And so that awareness for divorce or death or if somebody gets sick or hurt. I mean, again, I was told I had a year to live in 2005. Wow. And so it's for these situations, it's so important that we talk about mm-hmm. financial literacy and engagement. And engagement is what I'm proposing here. Yes. And creating a structured engagement that makes sense for both people. The hardest homework item that we give people, and I don't care how much they're worth, uh-huh. it's always the hardest, is how much do you spend each month? Oh. Most people have no idea. Okay. And you cannot, as you go through this exercise of backfilling, how much do I need based mm-hmm. upon this ideal life? You don't know until you know what your current monthly nut is. Yeah. And so I can't model out, hey, you're going to run out of money at age 96 if you don't do this. Yeah. And so that engagement is huge and it puts you in a position of power if somebody ever asks you for a divorce or if somebody gets hit by the proverbial bus. Yeah. So an example of the proverbial bus Mm -hmm. is uh, being laid off, for example. Exactly. So what advice do you have for, uh, let's say for a moment it is a family, Mm -hmm. however that is beautifully defined. Right, sure. And one of the uh, money earners in the family has just been laid off. Right. Do you have advice for what is the next step when that type of bus hits? Absolutely. So first thing I always say is three months of household living expenses are critical to have an emergency account. Okay. And you saw a lot of people during the pandemic Mm -hmm. got really hit hard on that because they didn't have that money there. Uh. Now, I'll also say it's been my experience that women and frankly, older women have a longer runtime to get to an equivalent compensation rage if they're jumping jobs. Okay, wait, say that one again. I want to make sure I understood it. So if I have a woman that's 60 years old mm-hmm. and that's in in the C-suite, no mm-hmm. pun intended, mm-hmm. um, she's going to have a tougher time getting equivalent compensation if she's changing jobs. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's going to take them longer. Right. Okay, this is amazing. Do you mind if I talk more about this statement you just made? Let's do it. Because we are trained to believe that Mm -hmm. the fastest path to increasing my compensation is to job hop a lot. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that's not true for the woman. As they get older. Wow. Well, I mean, let's call it what it is. It's HR. Like how, yeah, Yeah. elder women, I mean, it's no different than Hollywood. It's the same story. And how employable are you, even if you've had the big uh, Mm -hmm. title and the fat salary, like somebody might not want to pay that same salary or equivalent in the next job if you're 65. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, that's fascinating. So sorry, I interrupted your train no, of good. thought because yeah. I had an oh wow mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, so what with that, that's why I say with older women, we tend to talk about having more than three months of living expenses because we know uh, it's going to take longer. I see. If we need to job transition in the future, and God forbid you have a personality conflict with somebody else in C-suite, mm. and you might be more on the chopping block politically yes. more quickly. Yes, yes, I understand that dynamic yep. very I'm, well. I'm sure you might. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. So a uh, job loss, Yep. Uh, how to respond to it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you would recommend families do with the family unit at this time of year? This so, would involve the kids too, I guess, right? Right. So I, um, as you know, so I have a whole thing I've built on um, a parent's guide um, to money for their kids. Mm-hmm. And so my son is getting ready to actually graduate from high school. But I think it's so critical that we get our kids comfortable with money. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, and I've had to learn this because I did not grow up this way. Okay. But I've learned that just a lot of people, money feels yucky. They don't ever talk about it mm-hmm. as a family. And then you make it sort of taboo. That's yeah. what makes things taboo. Mm-hmm. And sex and money, right? That's how it works. <laughs> so I, you know, I talk about how do we make money normal and what are sort of games and toys and things at different age uh, brackets that are appropriate to mm-hmm. normalize it. And the more we talk about it, the more normal it becomes. Yeah. And so I've been actually trading a portfolio with my son since he's been 10. Okay. Because I want to normalize investing and mm-hmm. normalize how we think about money. In fact, one of the projects I gave him about a year ago was, here's a hundred bucks, mm-hmm. go to the grocery store. Your job is to make a meal for all of us. I want you to have a relationship with money to see how far it goes. Wow. Oh, it's genius. Which, which we're back to two points that I mentioned earlier, financial literacy mm-hmm. and engagement. Yeah. That exercise was an example of engagement. Mm-hmm. How does he create a relationship with money? Yeah. By him working, um, he also creates a relationship with money. Like he likes going to Willie's for mm-hmm. his burrito. He's a 17-year-old boy. Yeah. So he needs to understand how it feels like spending it and watching that account go down. Right. And... And so that's why I'm a big believer. I, you know, I worked all through school Mm -hmm. and my parents made very clear to me in the early 90s and the 80s that they were not saving for college. They were saving for their retirement. Okay. And that don't come home with bees and you better swim fast. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that's the ideal parenting style, but I'm saying I learned 20, 30 years later that it was a gift because it forced me to learn how to hustle. Yeah. And learn how to, I paid for school myself, mm-hmm. and I was set in leadership roles where Rice and Georgia Tech paid for things. Yeah. Yeah, I saw you were a, a, a competitive swimmer, yeah, was a, you? Yeah, I was a Division One swimmer uh-huh. at, uh, at Rice University, and oh. then um, trying to do Division One sports and engineering was challenging, and I was paying for school, so yeah. I came back in state to Georgia Tech. I was a uh, third generation there. Oh, wow. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, did you specialize in a stroke? Um, this is the story of my life, Donna. I, I was what you call an <laughs> IMer, individual medley. So I did a lot of things really well, but nothing extraordinary. Oh, that's great. Okay. Right. I see a theme. I see but not a theme that you don't do anything extraordinarily well, but a theme that you have a variety. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. Um, Okay. So back to New Year's resolution. I hear in my coaching practice what I'll call discontent. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is just the the moment of self-reflection that the pandemic has put upon all of us. And also a moment, depending on your age and your career, where you think, you know what, if I'm going to make a change, now is probably the time to make that change. Mm -hmm. Do you advise people to have a particular 
financial assessment or some sort of a conversation before they start that type of a job search? I think the bigger questions I see are um, how they structure their compensation, whether they're doing an equity or pure compensation, and what the growth of that company is. I've had clients that worked for big names, but that stock is very volatile. Mm. And then the fortune companies, it might not be as volatile. So a million bucks from a volatile company in equity is very different from a million bucks with said fortune 50 that might be located in Atlanta. Right, right. It's interesting too, back to your comment about get your life in order first and Mm -hmm. then back into the money. People really struggle with what do I really want in the next job? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a title. And this, the compensation's a little bit secondary. Yep. And sometimes it's, no, I need to catch up financially. It's not about the title. It's about the total comp. Right. This, those are just very, uh, they're very stressful. But a lot of women, um, we know that we don't negotiate as well. Okay. I mean, that's another podcast too, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But I've seen, and I have friends that talk a good bit about this. Why not over-index on the equity side mm-hmm. of the compensation to get more Mm-hmm. If you're willing to take a little bit less on the traditional salary, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Again, depending on the type of company right, and exactly. the, the risk tolerance, yep, I see. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to see if you're going to be willing to answer it. Oh, I'm, I'm open. <laughs> Do you believe that couples should have joint accounts or separate accounts or a hybrid? So actually, I, I talk about this a lot because that speaks mm-hmm. back to power. Yeah. Um, so partial pooling. So there are all these models of how yeah. you manage cash flow. To keep it simple, the partial pooling is the his, hers, and the ours. Sure. Sometimes that keeps people at bay. That's the majority of folks that I work with. They do partial pooling. So it's a his, hers, and ours. So they do have a joint, okay. but you have two earners. Uh-huh. And so they'll still have their own accounts too. Interesting. But so there's an allowance model. Mm-hmm. that on the surface sounds horrific. That's like you have one earner <laughs> and somebody's giving somebody else. I actually use that personally okay. in my relationship. Yeah. But the reason that it works is because my partner runs all the cash flows. Ah. So she sees yes. everything that occurs, but we have our meeting cadence set up yeah. and it doesn't create power dynamics. So yeah. there are no bad models, yeah. but it's how you solve for the interactions around it to where um, we we talk about transparency. Yeah, And some people don't want transparency. Like, I need to stay married, Meredith. Like, I have to have this one account. Uh, um, but with what I do, I see all sorts of stuff. I get to hear about how somebody has their girlfriend in an apartment and how they spent that. So I hear all the yucky stuff and yeah, see, yeah. seen it all, my yeah, friend. No, I can only imagine that yeah. that's a that's not just a podcast, that's a book. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. But, but it it happens. So uh let me get your rapid reflection on a couple of things. Okay. What does it mean to you when you hear someone in the relationship has a secret credit card? That's the transparency thing. Mm-hmm. I ask them, is there a reason for it? Okay. But I don't judge it. That right. It's not my job right. to judge it. It leads to um, financial transparency can lead to marriage dissolving. Yeah. And as long as they're, as long as they know that. Yeah. Um, you know, in financial cheating, it's very common. Uh And it's back to how do you define that? Okay. I, I actually talk about that as one of my points in my TED because you can have secret bank accounts. Right. And especially if somebody's at the breadwinner and feels resentful around contribution. Mm. 
So when we talk about contribution, okay. so you get a $10,000 annual bonus. How many loads of laundry is that equivalent to? Oh. So how do we define contribution in a relationship yeah. first? And if it's not clearly defined, mm-hmm. that's when people create secret bank accounts and secret credit cards. Okay. I will tell you personally, look, I've committed... I've done the same thing. So I'm personally guilty of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not judging it. And I've seen it done professionally. Yeah. It's how you handle it as a couple. Right. And why is somebody doing it to begin with? What's going on in that relationship that would necessitate that? Yeah. So it's all, always just going back to what is my intention? Right. <laughs> what is exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would want to make sure a listener thinks about as they enter the new year and think about work and money? So it's back to start thinking about kind of future. Mm-hmm. What What's your passion doesn't have to be what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. Again, I like movies. Not going to be a movie critic. Mm-hmm. And be intentional in how you plan for it. Most people mm-hmm. that I see already have so much professional guidance, but they haven't gotten granular with them. They're doing something very two-dimensional, like managing investments, and that's it. Okay. Or not really solving, looking at cash flows and... How do I get to go sit on a paid board and how does that affect me? And they don't more deeply think about legacy. Mm. It's like they're they're still caught up even with however many million dollars. Like I have to have financial security. Well, you already have financial security. Mm-hmm. So what is that next step of, I think of it like Maslow's hierarchy where yeah. you hit self-actualization mm-hmm. with where you feel like you can pass money on and you can do it with good intents and with, the right sort of estate planning documents to surround those gifts and money that you might leave to your family or to a philanthropy or whatever your jam is. Right. It might make you feel like you're going to be nauseous, but having those conversations with your parents around where uh-huh. they are and what's going to fall to you. Yeah. Does mom and dad have any sort of long-term health insurance, long-term care health insurance? Many of the people I know, we've financially done better than our parents did. Okay. And they might not have the means to pay for these things, but mm-hmm. yet our own guilt and who we are as children, like we're going to feel compelled that we need to pay for these things. And yeah. mom and dad can't cash flow it. It's very tough for mom and dad to be honest with mm-hmm. what they have. And it's like mm-hmm. somebody's going to have to die or end up, you know, chronically ill for us to really get to the bottom of it. Yeah. In the Me Suite, we always end an episode with a sweetener of what could we be doing differently on Monday. We've talked about a lot of things that we could be doing entering the new year. I think I want the one for do differently on Monday, which is to start to have a plan around this conversation that we need to be having with our aging parents. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you are clearly on this planet for a very clear reason. It's just been a real treat, and I appreciate you sharing your expertise with us in the Me Suite. Thank you. I've enjoyed our time together. Until the next topic, this is Donna Peters. Thank you for joining me in the Me Suite. 